Welcome to the Mariners podcast from Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. Ooh, we, where do we start? Uh, the Seattle Mariners lost the second of three games to the Washington Nationals yesterday, four to one. Uh, in today's podcast, we'll cover that loss. We'll talk Patrick Corbin, who was the uh, winning pitcher for the Nationals. Talk about the Mariners' bats. Talk quite a bit about uh, the lack of heart that the Mariners demonstrated in this game, the lack of response uh, from the previous game. Leadership, talent, all those things. We'll cover all of them. Uh, and then we will move on to the weekend series against the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, I'll cover the Rays history, um, a little bit about what makes them so good, and then uh, cover tomorrow's pitching matchup, which is Bryce Miller against Shane McClanahan. So, Mariners lose 4-1 yesterday afternoon. Pitching matchup was Logan Gilbert against Patrick Corbin. The background to this is that Patrick Corbin, as I outlined in yesterday's podcast, is pretty much a kind of bottom 10% starting pitcher in the major leagues. Uh, he has his job in large part because of his contract and not his ability. Uh, he had given up a ton of hits, very few strikeouts, just a, a really poor pitcher overall. Um, in 2023, facing Logan Gilbert, who is the Mariners' number three starter, you know, true talent, three and a half ERA sort of guy, as you know. Uh, so everything kind of set up for the Mariners to to win this game from a pitching matchup standpoint, and I and I certainly expected the Mariners to respond with some intensity, some anger, some frustration, uh, greater focus after losing 7-4 in extra innings, including a uh, bases loaded, no out opportunity that they squandered. And the Mariners came out listless. I, I don't I don't know what else to say um, about yesterday's game. Again, they lost 4-1. Logan Gilbert did not do his part. He gave up three runs in the top of the first inning. I think that took some of the momentum or wind out of the Mariners' sails, but you got to respond. You got to punch back. Uh, Patrick Corbin ended up going seven innings, five hits, no runs, no walks, nine strikeouts. You're talking about a pitcher who came into the game with a 5.32 ERA and a 1.61 whip. And those are not, uh, that's not because of bad luck. That's truly who he is. The Mariners came into the game facing a pitcher surrendering a 321 average against right-handed hitters, 361 on base percentage, and an 864 OPS. So Mariners should have lit him up. Now, granted, Patrick Corbin found some velocity, lost velocity uh, in this game compared to his yearly averages. His slider was up. 2.9 miles an hour. His sinker was up 1.1 miles an hour. His fastball was up 0.8 miles an hour. But still, you're talking about an 82-mile-an-hour slider, a 93-mile-an-hour sinker, 
and a 93-mile-an-hour fastball. And that's all he threw, sinker, slider, fastball. The spin rates are just above 2,000 RPMs, which is not great. Uh, and he did only manage uh, 12, uh, 12 whiffs for a 22% whiff rate. But the Mariners hitters, as I'll outline in a minute, missed some hittable pitches for sure. Corbin was as much on his game as he could have been, but the Mariners still should have scored and the Mariners still should have hit him hard. The reality is they missed a lot of pitches. Uh, it was no secret what, what Patrick Corbin was trying to do. He was going fastball up, slider down, fastball up, slider, like back foot sliders. And, you know, certain Mariners hitters were swinging at everything, right? Ty France was all over the place. You don't even have to throw Ty France uh, a strike at this point in time because he chases everything. Uh, Dylan Moore is look is not looking like a major league hitter. Um, and so there's some questions. I have some questions about the Mariners' talent level, like true talent level. Uh, and we'll go through that in an exercise in a few minutes. But a couple of at-bats that I want to highlight from the game. There's not a ton to to go over, to be honest with you. Tom Murphy went three for three. Jose Caballero went two for three with a home run. And the only other hit by the Mariners was Eugenio Suarez, who had a uh, a hit or had a single. The top five hitters in the Mariners lineup went one for 20 with seven strikeouts. You're talking about J.P. Crawford, Julio Rodriguez, Ty France, Teoscar Hernandez and Eugenio Suarez. That's supposed to be the core of the Mariners offense. And they went one for 20 against a pitcher who shouldn't be in the major leagues anymore, who came into the game with a 5-3-2 ERA and a 1-6-1 whip. Especially after losing a game that they should have won last night. It's absolutely inexcusable for the top five to go one for five in this game. It's ridiculous. Dylan Moore is now hitting 0-50 with the 374 OPS. AJ Pollock is now hitting 155 with the 506 OPS. Tom Murphy's hitting 259 with the 768 OPS, which is acceptable. But I bring up those three because the Mariners regulars outside of those three have OPSs between 711 and 749. You don't have a single regular on this team that has an OPS above 750. It's the the bats are are incredibly underperforming this season. Uh, in this game, bottom two, Dylan Moore uh, sees two pitches. He sees a fastball that's ninety three, slightly up, uh, middle of the plate. He should have hit it hard. It's a cookie from from Patrick Corbin, and he popped out to short. Bottom four. Ty France, eight-pitch strikeout, five sliders, a fastball, and two sinkers. But he struck out at eight pitches, and only two of these pitches were in the strike zone. Literally one in four pitches that he saw were in the strike zone, and he still struck out. A.J. Pollock, five-pitch strikeout, only two of them were strikes in the zone. Uh, he chased a horrible slider that was low and in for, uh, for strike three. Dylan Moore flew out to right field in the bottom of the fifth. Now, granted, it was a 590 XBA and 100 miles an hour off the bat, but it was a middle-middle sinker that 
he should have done damage on, right? These are very hittable pitches off of a very hittable pitcher. Dylan Moore, bottom seven, four-pitch strikeout. Strike three was a slider that was middle-middle. So he hurt the team a ton, right? Of course, they're the top, as I said, the top five guys in the lineup were one for 20. But Dylan Moore supposed to, is, was signed to the contract and is on the team to hit left-handed pitching, full stop. And he couldn't hit a slider that was an absolute cookie, middle-middle from, from Patrick Corbin, who has below average major league stuff at this point in time. I'm at a loss for words. Patrick Corbin, 19 first pitch strikes out of 26 first pitches. Again, he was better than he has been this season, but you also have to ask the question, how many of those were chases by the Mariners? How many of those were swings by the Mariners? How many of those were pitches that the Mariners could have taken to get deeper into counts? I'm guessing a lot of them. He threw 67% strikes, 102 pitches total, seven innings, as I said, five hits, no runs, no walks, nine strikeouts. On the flip side, Logan Gilbert, six innings, eight hits, four runs, two walks, four strikeouts. Not his greatest day. Uh, Velocity was up on the fastball, down slightly on the splitter. Uh, The same with the slider. Uh, he only managed 10 swings and misses on 56 swings. That's an 18% whiff rate. I, as good as the Mariners pitching is, I do think that asking some questions about their ability to generate swings and misses or inability to generate swings and misses is going to become an issue. And it's going to become a question that that uh, Mariners fans can ask about why a pitcher like Logan Gilbert or George Kirby or Bryce Miller with the kind of stuff that they have are not generating more swings and misses. Is it pitch sequence? Is it pitch mix? Is it uh, filling up the zone? Is it philosophical? And it's something the Mariners want their pitchers to do. I think these are legitimate questions at this point in time, but Logan Gilbert was off his game. He now is five and five with the four one nine ERA. Again, he's a little better than his ERA states, but I don't know. This was a, a game where you wanted Logan Gilbert to come out and shove, to be angry, to carry the team, to be a horse, to be a stopper, and he wasn't. He gave up three runs in the first. So brings us to this lack of heart or lack of response, and I guess – The first question I would ask is, when I look at this roster, where is the heart coming from, right? What is the heartbeat of this team? For all intents and purposes, the heart of the team is supposed to be J.P. Crawford and Julio Rodriguez. Crawford is more of a veteran, obviously, um, outspoken, uh, a leader, Julio is a gravitational force, right? Not always super outspoken, but cer- certainly demonstrative and positive and, uh, you know, a, an elite, elite uber talent. So the two of those guys are the ones who you would expect to respond. Uh, Teo Hernandez is also a leader on this team. Um, one of the issues is, 
you know, where is the anger coming from? Where is the intensity coming from? I think every team needs a straw that stirs the drink. You need someone who might, you know, get a lot of fire under teammates, challenge teammates, ask hard questions. I think the, the championship teams have that. And I don't know where exactly that's coming from. There's a lot of positive players on this team, a lot of guys who, who, I think are are trying to stay uh, in the positive and keep continue to push forward. And I understand it's a 162 game season, and that's part of baseball is to be that way. But you have to see a response, right? Someone needs to get angry to wake these guys up because you were facing it was essentially the perfect matchup against Patrick Corbin at home, coming after that coming off of that heartbreaking loss on Tuesday night. It absolutely set up for the Mariners to win 10-0. And they laid an egg. If it's me, obviously I'm not a Major League Baseball player, but I'd be angry as hell. I'd be asking questions. I'd be screaming, yelling in the clubhouse because these guys need to wake up. And clearly that didn't happen. I assume we will hear of some sort of players only meeting or something like that happening today going into the weekend series against the Rays. There's no way that they can lose two out of three to the Washington nationals at home in the way that they did in extras on Tuesday, not scoring with the bases loaded, no outs. And then to Patrick Corbin on Wednesday in the way that they did without somebody doing something. But I don't know who that somebody is when I look at this roster. I think it is one of the issues that folks have brought up, that your best player and your leader or the the player that people will gravitate towards is as young as Julio Rodriguez is, right? He's 22, and he's not going to yell and scream, and he's not going to get angry. And so when that is your guy – when that is the player who you expect to get, you know, you expect to lead your team. I don't know how you dig out of something like this. If it was an older guy, if it was someone a little bit more salty, and I'm not saying that Julio needs to be this way. I do think though that it's Jerry DePoto's responsibility to have somebody in the clubhouse who is that way. Jose Caballero is that way but he's not proven himself enough to to speak up in that manner. I think Cal Raleigh has some of that in him. Uh, JP Crawford, I don't think will challenge players in that way, but I know that he's definitely outspoken. So they've got to do something. To me, there's a, a leadership void to a certain extent right now. I don't challenge the heart of this team, but I do challenge uh, the direction or the rudder of the team and I think this is time where where Scott Service needs to step up a bit more and and needs to be out in front of this team and lead this team a little more than he typically does I know that he likes to steer the ship and I like that about him but there are times where the manager needs to step out in front and take the heat and protect his players, and then challenge them behind the scenes. This is that time. 
Now, a lot of folks have been asking questions about the talent level, the true talent level of the Mariners offense. And while I've been a defender of the moves that Jerry DePoto has made over the offseason, I think at this point in time, it's a legitimate question to ask. We're halfway through the season and the Mariners aren't scoring. Uh, What I did was I looked at the Mariners bats and I assigned a below average, above and elite label to each bat and what they are capable of, not just their, their hundredth percentile um, achievement, but kind of what I would expect from them versus uh, league average at that particular position. And what I found was that from a talent standpoint, I think JP Crawford has an average shortstop bat uh, based almost solely on, on base percentage and walks Julio Rodriguez, obviously as an elite bat, talent-wise compared to other center fielders. He also provides uh, elite center field defense. Ty France, I labeled as an average bat. I think he may be slightly below average when when looking at the numbers, but I labeled him as average. Teo Hernandez, I labeled as slightly above. Cal Raleigh, average. Eugenio Suarez, average. And Jared Kelnick, potentially slightly above average. Everyone on the bench is below other than Tom Murphy. And the reason why I gave Tom Murphy an average kind of true talent bat is that I compare you compare him to other backup catchers and other platoon catchers. And I think he does his job, which is to hit lefties. So that means that the Mariners have, from a talent standpoint, what I deem to be three bats of their of their offense that are above average potentially, and only one elite bat in Julio. The two above average are Jared Kelnick and Taylor Hernandez, and the one elite is Julio. And of those three, none of them are performing above average at their position this season. When looking at Fangraph's offensive war, Julio, Julio Rodriguez was the 42nd outfielder. For Fangraph's war, just offense. Jared Kelnick was the 39th outfielder. Tell Hernandez was all the way down at 89th. Ty France at first base was 23rd behind names like Joey Gallo, Donovan Solano, Josh Naylor, Alex Kirloff, Brandon Belt. I think we get caught up in Ty France's average and the persona of Ty France and don't realize that his stats are not very good. J.P. Crawford was 12th in Fangraph's offensive war at shortstop, kind of right average, as we said. Cal Raleigh, 21st. So this team doesn't have a ton of offensive talent. I think the expectation was that Julio Rodriguez and Teoscar Hernandez would carry this offense, and I don't know if that's fair. I've said it before. Julio Rodriguez, you're expecting a 22-year-old Julio Rodriguez to be an MVP candidate. Did I expect him to be? I did. But I think we were all so caught up in his talent that we weren't giving him a fair shot to actually succeed. And so everyone is now hypercritical of Julio because he's he's not meeting or exceeding the expectations that we had for him this season. And he signed a huge contract, but he's 
22 and a half years old, exactly, 22 years and six months. He was born in the year 2000. And he still has, halfway through the season, 13 home runs, 47 runs, 42 RBIs, and 18 stolen bases. If he kept up this pace that we're all critical of, he would be a gold glove center fielder at 22 years old with 26 home runs, 94 runs, 84 RBIs, and 36 stolen bases. That's So I think we need to kind of leave Julio out of this and understand that his learning curve and his developmental curve is going to have it's not going to be perfect. We expected too much of him. We know that now. I have zero doubts about his ability to win multiple MVPs. Zero. But check the expectations. Right? It's so fun to have this, this superstar talent on our team. It's so fun. It, from a marketing standpoint, you get excited every day. It's must-see TV. He's 22 years old, man. So give it a rest. It's not Julio's issue. He's going to get better. Let him develop. Let him be. If you're going to be critical, which I am, for me, it starts with having Ty France and Eugenio Suarez as your corner infielders. I think at best, they're providing the Mariners average production. Ty France is a higher average, lesser power first baseman. Eugenio Suarez is a lower average, higher power third baseman. They both play slightly above average defense at their position. But I think this is a place where the Mariners could spend money, right? This is a place where the Mariners need to upgrade. And as much as fans like the two personalities, I think that there are tremendous upgrades that could be had at both positions. Tyler Locklear is in the Mariners minor league system. He's going to be an average to above average major league bat. He is a middling third defensive third baseman who's probably going to end up at first base. To me, he's a tight France clone in a lot of ways. Um, that doesn't provide you with the kind of boost that the Mariners need. I, I think that they really have to focus on first and third, whether it's at the trade deadline or in the offseason. Cal Raleigh is going to be fine. I think the catching position is fine. He's going to be your 220, you know, 25 home run catcher for quite a while. He's a plus defensive catcher. Got Harry Ford coming up in the minor leagues. Whether he's a, a catcher or not is in question, but he's the number one Mariners prospect. Catching position is going to be okay. Second base, we've talked about a lot. Caballero and Wong together is is suboptimal, but um, there aren't a ton of upgrades out there. Shortstop with J.P. Crawford, would you like to have a superstar shortstop? Every team would. But I think Crawford is acceptable for what he is, as long as you don't have higher expectations of him. But the the defense and the uh, on-base ability is, I will take on, on my team. Teo is on a one-year contract or at the end of his contract, free agent after this year. I think you hold on to Teo Hernandez and you see what happens. Um, but he produces, he's carried the team. The wins that the Mariners have had in June are, are in a lot of ways, the responsibility of Teoscar Hernandez. So not going to worry about him too much. 
I think there are questions about whether Jared Kelnick is a full-time outfielder. Uh, he doesn't hit lefties very well. He definitely doesn't hit off speed very well or breaking balls. Can he adjust? That's going to determine whether Jared Kelnick should be the Mariners starting left fielder for the next five years or not. So there are a lot of questions. The only places I don't have questions are catcher, shortstop, center field, and for this year, right field. Everything else is is up for debate. And again, Julio Rodriguez is the only elite bat you have. You've got a couple that could be seen maybe as above average, but a lot of that is potential. So one elite bat is not going to win a World Series. I have come to that conclusion. Again, I was a supporter of DePoto. I so I liked the moves that he made. I liked the acquisition of Wong. I liked the acquisition of Teo. I liked the acquisition of Pollock. Pollock is a great hitter against left-handers. 850-plus OPS career-wise, but he might be washed. The other thing to consider when we're looking at Mariners hitting or offensive statistics is T-Mobile is a probably the least friendly hitters park in Major League Baseball. And that has to be taken into account. Uh, just looking at this year, turning off the three-year rolling park factors on Baseball Savant, just 2023, overall the park factor for T-Mobile was 93. Overall, the home run factor was 89. So versus righties and lefties, it is 11% more difficult to hit a home run at T-Mobile Park than it is major league average. Versus right-handers, overall, it's 92. So overall hitter-wise, it's 8% more difficult for a right-handed hitter. Home run factor versus righties is 85 so 15% more difficult to hit a home run. Overall versus lefties, 94. That's 6% more difficult overall. Or home run versus lefties, 93, 7% more difficult. So it is a pitcher's park. It is not easy to hit at Seiko, at T-Mobile. At, at least I didn't say Kingdom. And so consider that when looking at the performance of the Mariners. What I would say, what I might argue when looking at the park factors is how do you score in a park that is that suppresses hitters, right? You take walks. If it's a big park, you find gap hitters. It's the recipe of the 2001 Mariners, right? If a balanced lineup, you get deep into counts. You get starting pitchers out after five innings, six innings. That's why I love J.P. Crawford. I think J.P. Crawford is the type of hitter who works well at T-Mobile. Um, Julio is going to transcend park factors. I'm not worried about that. Ty France is the type of hitter. I don't like Ty – excuse me. I'll just say it. I don't love Ty France as a hitter. Uh, he When there's runners on, I think he's going to ground into double plays. He has been clutch at times, but – I think there's an upgrade there, but he is the type of hitter, meaning he can hit the ball into gaps. He puts the ball in play. The type of hitter that should succeed at T-Mobile. I wish he walked more. I wish he took more pitches, but the batted ball type I like. Teoscar Hernandez is, I think, could 
you know, he's going to train his, the, as hard as he hits the ball, he is going to, um, the park is not going to hold him quite as much. Cal Raleigh is a, you know, for all intents and purposes, a three true outcome hitter. So is Eugenio Suarez. Those guys are not going to hit as well at T-Mobile because T-Mobile suppresses home runs. And they hit a lot of fly balls and fly balls are going to get caught at T-Mobile. So it's just, it's important to consider the park when looking at this offense and being critical of this offense. The offense is still terrible right now, but it is important to consider that they play at a huge park. Now, interestingly, when I look at the Mariners offense overall, it's, not horrible. It's 4.7, 4.47 runs per game, which is good for 16th in baseball. That's average. That's exactly league average from a runs per game standpoint. The Mariners walk more, tied for ninth in baseball, um, but hit the ball, you know, tw- tied for 26th in average, 24th in both OBP and OPS. Um, you could say that that part of that is the park. Maybe the Mariners have a league average offense and a an elite pitching staff. And that was the the recipe that Jerry DePoto thought could win. It stands out some of the deficiencies of the offense when you can't score against a pitcher like Patrick Corbin. And I think that's why people are upset. I also think the Mariners have had some very high scoring wins. And so that can um, inflate the stats a little bit, but it's time to ask some questions. We're at the halfway mark. How can this team improve? Where can this team improve? First base. Third base, certainly second base, DH, a lot of places. Do you mortgage the future to get a bat or two? I don't think so. I don't think that's the Mariners' way. I don't think that's the edict from ownership to Jerry DePoto. And I'm glad it's not. But something does need to get done. And I think the Mariners, I would make the argument that the Mariners are a team that should get out in front of the trade market because otherwise they're going to lose the season. The Mariners are already 10 and a half games behind the Texas Rangers. They're going to lose the season if they don't make a move soon. So I'm very interested to hear what happens today behind the scenes, uh, what kind of conversations have been had, but the offense needs to get better and the team needs to show a hell of a lot more heart. That starts from Logan Gilbert taking the mound and giving up three runs in the first inning to the freaking Washington Nationals, all the way down to the top five in the order going one for 20. Show some more heart. Be angry. Show some intensity. Fans need to see that. I need to see that. At least go down fighting. And they went down like punks. I hate saying that about my about the Seattle Mariners. But they went out like some punks in this series. I don't know. I'm shaking my head. I know it's not a video, but I'm shaking my head right now. All right. Tampa Bay Rays. (laughs) This is not the best scenario for the Mariners coming off of this series against the Nationals. Uh, The Rays are basically the best team in baseball, 55 and 28. Plus 147 run differential, which is number two only behind the Texas Rangers. They are five games ahead of the Baltimore Orioles in the American League East. They are much better at home than on the road. 34 and 10 at home, 23 and 15 on the road. So if you're looking for any kind of uh, positive in their record, that would be it. 
They're scoring 5.52 runs per game, which is good for second in baseball. OPS is third in baseball. OBP is third in baseball. You, you compare that to the Mariners being 24th in both of those categories. Tied for third in average. Mariners are tied for 26th. They don't take a ton of walks at 8.7%. Tied for 17th. Mariners take more walks than they do. Um, they strike out a little bit less. 22.3% strikeout rate versus the Mariners 25-9. So the offense puts the ball in play. Offense doesn't strike out a ton. Uh, they get on base and they score runs, and it's a very balanced offense. Uh, ERA, 3.62, which is second in baseball. Mariners are tied for eighth at 3.81. Both teams have a 1.20 whip. Both are tied for third in baseball. The Rockies walk a lot more batters than the Mariners do. They're tied for 19th with the 8.7% walk rate. Mariners are first. Both teams have a pretty good strikeout rate. Both teams have a um, decent to slightly above swinging strike rate. Uh, and then stuff plus, Rays are 105, Mariners are 103, Rays are tied for third in baseball. Location plus, Rays are 100, Mariners are 103, Mariners are tied for first. Pitching plus, Tampa Bay Rays 102, Mariners 103. So Rays don't walk as much. They hit the ball better than the Mariners do as of as of now. They strike out a little bit less. Mariners walk a little more. Pitching-wise, a little bit better stuff overall, at least by Fangraph Stuff Plus metric. Uh, and they walk a few more batters than the Mariners do, but their whips are pretty equal. So really the differentiator in this series is when you look at the numbers so far are that the Tampa Bay Rays have a much better offense score over a run more than the Mariners per game. That's the difference between these two teams. The Rays are led by, um, you know, a group of players. Yandy Diaz has started to elevate the ball this season a bit more. Uh, he leads off and plays first base. Wander Franco is, might be the most talented bat to ball hitter in baseball. He's up there with, um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and those types of hitters. He bats second and plays shortstop. Luke Rayleigh was acquired for Tanner Dotson, essentially nothing from the Dodgers in 22. He's their DH and he hits third against right-handers. Uh, he's proven to be a very, very good hitter this season. Renio Rosarena hits uh, cleanup in left field. He's been good this season. He was acquired in a trade uh, with the Cardinals in 20. Isak Paredes hits fifth. He's their third baseman, um, again, acquired in a trade in 22. Josh Lau has been a surprise uh, left-handed hitting right fielder, hits sixth. He's the first-round pick in 16. Taylor Walls hits seventh. He is their second baseman. Christian Bethencourt hits eighth. He's their catcher. And then Jose Siri is their center fielder. He hits ninth. Most of these guys were acquired in trade. One, two, three, four, five, six of their nine hitters that start typically were acquired in trade. One was a first rounder, one was a third rounder, and one was an international free agent, uh, Wander Franco in 2017. Why do I bring this up? Because the Tampa Bay Rays are a very low payroll um, team that has been able to have a tremendous amount of success. Uh, 
I don't know if it's voodoo magic, what it is. Their front office has always been, not always, since Andrew Friedman took over in 2006 as their GM uh, when Steve Sternberg bought the team. The Rays have been a very, very smart, ahead-of-the-curve type of team. Uh, they outthink other teams. It's how they've survived given their low, lower payroll. Um, and it's, it's something to be emulated. I think a lot of teams have tried to emulate what they do. Uh, this year they have a $79 million payroll and their highest salary is Zach Eflin, who they signed as a free agent starting pitcher from the Phillies for $11 million. Manny Margot makes 7 million. Currently he doesn't even start in right field. More of a platoon bat. Yandy Diaz makes six. He just signed a, an extension. Tyler Glass now just over five. Rosarena just over four. Pete Fairbanks, 3.7 million. Wander Franco, two and a half million, but he has a $16.5 million extension that's about to kick in. And then two more, two more players that make over two. Nobody else makes over $2 million. They acquired these players through trade. They're off offensively at least. And then pitching-wise, they take tremendous chances on arms that are incredibly talented but injury-prone or injured at the time. And so guys with Tommy John surgery, um, guys who look like – who with bad deliveries that look like they might have Tommy John surgery soon, any sort of – Market inefficiency that they can find, they will exploit. And one of them is to find pitchers who have historically had great stuff, who are either injured or have an injury history that other teams don't want to take a chance on. So Shane McClanahan was drafted at the bottom of the first round in 2018. He's their ace. He's left-handed. He's who the Mariners will face on Friday. Uh, and he was lights out at... Uh, USF, South Florida, but he had Tommy John surgery as a freshman and it scared some teams away. Uh, his health has been up and down, but he's a Cy Young candidate when he's healthy. So he's an example of of a player who had Tommy John, whose injury potential and size uh, was a detractor to other teams. Tyler Glass now was an erratic 6'8 right-handed starter for the Pittsburgh Pirates who they couldn't harness so he was traded with Austin Meadows in 2018 for Chris Archer. Now, Glasnow's had surgery again. He's been off injured, but his stuff is double plus. He's elite. Uh, and it's paid off in spades, um, acquiring Glasnow from the Pirates. Taj Bradley was a fifth-round pick, an athletic right-handed starting pitcher who was kind of an unknown. They did a good job of scouting him, and now he's he might be the best starting pitching prospect in the American League. He's a fifth-round pick in 18. Zach Eflin, they saw something in him. They signed him to a three-year, $40 million deal from the Phillies, uh, a little bit less conventional um, that in that he throws a lot of curveballs, a lot of cutters, uh, but an interesting pitcher. They saw something there. They signed him. They went for it, and he's their big-ticket signing. And then Yanni Torinos is their fifth starter currently, and he was an international free agent all the way back in 2012 for $10,000. So you're talking about a, an offense that was put together through trade and a pitching staff that is very, very good that 
is a bunch of, I wouldn't call them misfits, but you got an, a shorter left-handed starter that was drafted at the bottom of the first round who had Tommy John surgery and scared some teams off. A wild 6-8 starter with a great fastball that was acquired in a trade a deadline trade 2018 that another team couldn't figure out. A fifth-round pick in 2018 who's now probably the best starting pitching prospect in the American League. A starting pitcher in Zach Eflin from the Phillies who – the Phillies could literally go either way as far as keeping. They didn't love him. He wasn't great for the Phillies, and now he is with the Rays. And an international free agent signing in 2012 for $10,000. So as you can see, they put together this team in a bunch of hodgepodge sort of ways. And yet you still have Brandon Lau, power hitting second baseman, Shane Boz, Josh Fleming, Drew Rasmus, and Jeffrey Springs, Andrew Kittredge, like all these pitching, these pitchers who have been hurt in part because of the the chances they take on injury, who are all on the injured list, but there's more talent in the in their organization. In the minors, you've got Jonathan Aranda, who's a good, a very good hitting uh infielder, Curtis Mead, who is a great bat and a top 25 prospect, who's probably gonna end up at second base. Kyle Manzardo, who is an above average hitting left-handed first baseman who had decent exit velocities up till this year. I think Kyle Manzardo would be an upgrade over Ty France immediately. And then a ton of bullpen in the minor leagues who have pitched well in the major leagues at times. And then the crown jewel of their uh, minor league system is Junior Caminero, who's a third base, 19-year-old third baseman in double-A already who's going to hit for a ton of power. So they know how to acquire talent. They know how to acquire talent on the cheap. And they are the uh, the envy of a lot of other major league teams. It's very impressive what they've been able to achieve. Uh, they were founded in 1998 along with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, from 98 until 06, the team was not great. Uh, lots of Greg Vaughn, Jose Canseco's later years, Vinny Castilla, a lot of power hitters, just a kind of a weird construction of a team. They ended up with Lou Pinella as their manager in 03. He got mad because the team wouldn't spend money. Uh, so Steve Sternberg bought the team, bought Lou Pinella out in 05, hired Joe Madden as the manager from the uh, Angels and Andrew Friedman as like an Ivy League, young Ivy League guy to be the general manager. They lost a ton in 06 and 07, 101 losses in 06, 96 losses in 07. And then they won the American League East in 08 and went all the way to the world series only to be swept by the Phillies. Everyone was in shock in 08 when they went. It's a really cool run to watch. Uh, Joe Madden was, you know, seen as a genius. Andrew Friedman, I think people understood, but not weren't quite aware of who he was. And the fact that he was so responsible for this ascension of the Tampa Bay Rays. And in 14, Madden left. Kevin Cash was named manager. I believe he was the youngest manager in baseball at that time. Andrew Friedman also left to the Dodgers and uh, Matthew Silverman became the GM until 17 and 18, 17, 18. Uh, they brought in um, their current general manager, Eric Neander. Uh, they introduced, so that in, it's an innovative team, right? They acquire players in different ways. They're looking for, for loopholes. They're looking for market inefficiencies 
they were the ones responsible for introducing the opener where you have a reliever come in and pitch one or two innings, essentially force the other team to be in bad uh, platoon splits for a portion of the game, whether it's against the, the starter or the against the opener or against their bulk guy who will pitch the five innings afterwards. Um, interesting concept, a concept that uh, is still used today by some teams, especially uh, when they need to get pitchers rest and they can use the bullpen. But just, again, innovative, interesting. They signed Wander Franco to an 11-year, $182 million deal that runs through 2032. I think at the time he was 19 or 20 years old, and you gave $182 million to a player that's of that age and unproven, especially given the fact that the team has so little revenue. But they knew what they had in Wander Franco, and it's proven out this season to be incredibly smart. Uh, so, again, you got the team scoring the second most runs in baseball, the team with the second lowest ERA in baseball, and the Mariners get to try to get healthy and show some heart and bounce back against them Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The pitching matchup on Friday is Shane McClanahan against Bryce Miller. Saturday at 4.15 is Tyler Glasnow against George Kirby. That's going to be a really fun one. Uh, and then Sunday, Taj Bradley against Luis Castillo. All three of these matchups are freaking awesome. Uh, if Again, I say this about the Mariners a lot. If you love great pitching, this is a, a really fun series to watch. Um, McClanahan is 26 years old, uh, left-handed starter, 6'1", 200 pounds. Like I said, he was picked... 31st in the first round in 2018 by the Rays. He had Tommy John in 16 as a freshman. He's arbitration eligible in 2025, free agent in 28. So, of course, they have four and a half years of team control of this dynamite starting pitcher. He's 11-1 and with a 2-2-3 ERA and a 1.12 whip. His ex-FIP and his ex-ERA are 3.73 and 3.74. So, his expected stats are a lot higher or a lot worse than his actual ERA, but he's still great. 93 innings, 69 hits, 35 walks, 100 strikeouts. He does have a 90% left on base percentage. Part of that is he strikes out a lot of hitters, but part of that is also getting lucky. 15.6% um, swinging strike rate. He has reverse splits, which is also very interesting. 262 with the 649 OPS against lefties, 191 with the 629, 621 OPS against righties. 42% fastball at 97 miles an hour, 24% changeup at 87 miles an hour. That changeup has a 52.1% whiff rate, which is out of this world. 18% uh, curveball at 83 miles an hour and 15% slider at 89 miles an hour. So the Mariners have their work cut out for them. 97 mile an hour fastball, 89 mile an hour slider, 84, 85 miles an hour is the threshold for sliders in terms of them being good. Um, swing and miss pitches. His is at 89. And then you've got this 52% whiffs changeup coming at you as well. So Mariners bats better buckle down against Shane McClanahan. Uh, he's a tough customer. He's a Cy Young candidate. Uh, I just, but they got to respond. Bryce Miller's got to come out and, and, and give the Mariners six strong innings 
And the bats have to respond against McClanahan. You need to see your leaders, J.P. Crawford, Julio Rodriguez, right? Tail Hernandez, Ty France, they've got to produce. And it's got to start now. Otherwise, the Mariners might be looking at selling instead of buying at the deadline. So show some heart. Try to put the Patrick Corbin game and the extra innings game out of your mind. But come out with some intensity. Show that you belong. Show that you want to play off berth. And go beat the Tampa Bay Rays. I'm out of energy. Uh, This team is exhausting. This team is fun. This team still has what I would consider the most talented young bat in all of Major League Baseball. If I was picking first to build a team around offensively, I would start with Julio Rodriguez with all 32 teams. All is not lost when you're building around that guy. But there needs to be improvements around him. And they need to show more emotion and they need to come out fighting against the Tampa Bay Rays for this weekend series. Thanks for listening uh, to the Mariners cast from this was presented by sports ethos. My name is Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at Tino junior 20. That's T I N O J R two zero and the podcast at ethos Mariners E T H O S M A R I N E R S. Take care, rest up, fans included. Uh, Be interesting to hear what they had to say about this off day and what occurred. And let's look forward to a weekend series against what is probably the best team in baseball. Take care, you guys. Peace.